You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled Two Temples. Hello my radio friends, I'm glad you've joined me today for another look at God's Word, the Bible. The Bible is a precious book. It changes lives. It gives hope. It gives peace of mind and reassurance, as well as presenting what has gone on in the world in the past and what is yet to happen. Today we will consider a subject that fundamentally applies to our individual lives, although on face value that does not seem to be the case. It's about the temple. The Jews were very fond of their temple. It was a landmark in their society and the focal point of their holy city, Jerusalem. A few years ago, I visited Salt Lake City in Utah, United States of America, and saw the Mormon temple. The Mormons are very fond of their temples also, although only certain Mormons are, are allowed, allowed, that is, to, be, to go inside. I found their temple there quite mundane-looking, although the surrounding buildings and gardens were very beautiful. But why build a temple in the first place? What are the origins of having such a special edifice? The second book of the Bible, Exodus, is the story of how God brought his people, the Israelites, out of captivity from Egypt. After a number of miraculous happenings, the two million or so people were at last free and spent some time crossing the desert toward what is now Palestine and Israel. At one stage, God said to Moses, the leader, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And that's from Exodus chapter 25 verse 8. The Israelite people had come out of Egypt, which was filled with idols, and the people were used to seeing images and statues of some of those Egyptian gods. But the Almighty God, who the people had quite some difficulty in relating to at first, also wanted to have a visible presence, and instructed Moses to have a sanctuary built. From this sanctuary, God's glory would shine and the people could then know that God was with them. Moses had clever artisans make the sanctuary building and its furnishings. The building was so constructed to be portable and was moved from place to place while the Israelites were in the desert. 
In various places in the scripture, the sanctuary is called a tent. But much later, during the reign of King Solomon, a beautiful, solid stone structure was built. It was not portable and was no longer called the sanctuary, but was called the temple. So why was the temple built in the first place? It was a place where God's presence was. Because of that, the temple was a holy place. You see, where God is, it's holy. The beautiful temple Solomon commissioned was destroyed by the Babylonians in about 597 BC. And later, during the reign of the Medo-Persians, the same temple was reconstructed from the remains of the original temple, but it lacked its former glory and beauty. Now, fast forward to the time of Jesus. Herod the Great, the Roman ruler, undertook to rebuild the temple again. The project took 46 years to complete and the temple was being used when Jesus walked here on this earth. Very early in his ministry, Jesus visited the temple in Jerusalem. During that visit, something very significant happened. I shall read to you from John chapter 2, verses 13 to 16. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their table. To those who sold doves he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Jewish men were required to attend the temple services at certain times, especially at Passover, which occurs at around e when Easter is held. People came from far and wide, many from foreign countries. Part of their being at the temple was to offer sin offerings for forgiveness of sins. Those offerings were sheep, cattle and doves, depending on what the people could afford. Because it was difficult to travel with a lamb, or a calf, or a dove for that matter in your suitcase, a service was provided so that the worshipper could buy an animal at Jerusalem in order to make the sacrifice. Instead of having the market outside the sheep gate of the city, the Jewish leadership had condoned having the market inside the temple precinct in the courtyard. 
Of course, it was smelly and noisy and busy and not conducive to worship. Besides that, in order to purchase the animals, the would-be worshippers had to exchange their money for temple money, and an extortion racket developed, all with the permission of the high priest and other priests who were supposed to protect the sanctity of the temple. Instead, they were making a comfortable profit out of all those commercial undertakings. It is no wonder that Jesus was upset. The temple was supposed to be a place of worship and holiness. Instead, many of those who sincerely came to worship went away disappointed. They had come for a blessing and went away disappointed. I've been to some churches where, instead of being uplifted, I felt depressed and unhappy. There was a lot of noise and activity, but it seemed that God had been crowded out. The blessing I hoped to receive was just not available. The record of how Jesus cleared the temple is also available in the Gospels of Matthew chapter 21, Mark chapter 11 and Luke chapter 19. But what these Gospel writers have recorded seems to indicate that there was a second cleansing of the temple like what John wrote about, but instead this was in the latter part of Jesus' ministry on earth. Here, Jesus exclaimed, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. From what I have shared with you today, there are some points we should consider. They are, number one, the temple symbolises the presence of God that is, where he dwells. Two, the temple is supposed to be pure and holy. Three, the temple requires to be cleansed. Four, there is a contradiction between what the temple is for and sometimes what occurs within it. And lastly, Jesus cleansed the temple. The Jewish leaders, especially the priests, later came to Jesus asking for a sign to show what authority he had to do what he did. After all, they realised that they were there to preserve the sanctity and holiness of the place. Of course, the Jewish leaders refused to accept that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, and in his reply to the delegation, Jesus said, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, Ah, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple Jesus had spoken of was his own body. Now this is really interesting. Jesus here 
gives the word temple another meaning. Temple means body. We're going to stop here and we'll go on straight afterwards.
just before the break, I was um, saying to you that Jesus spoke of the temple also meaning the body. Now, this, what Jesus said, is not in isolation. We find other references that temple refers to the body or person in other places of the New Testament. For example, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, where it says, Don't you know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God is in you? And then the Apostle Paul wrote almost identical words in 1 Corinthians 6.19, where he said, What? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God? and you are not your own? Another statement by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The Apostle Paul has deepened the meaning of temple by saying that God's temple is not just our bodies, but our whole being, our person, if you like. That means that you are to be the temple of God. It means that I am to be the temple of God. And of course, we're not God's temple unless God dwells in us. Do you remember those five points I mentioned earlier? They were that the temple symbolises the presence of God, the place where he dwells. And secondly, that the temple is to be pure and holy. And thirdly, that the temple has to be cleansed. And fourthly, that Jesus cleanses the temple. And fifthly, that there is a contradiction between what the temple is for and sometimes what occurs within it. So if we apply the definition of temple meaning a person, what do these points teach us? Is the presence of God in you and me? Is God pleased to dwell within me? Well, that entirely depends on our choices. If I allow God the opportunity, he will dwell within me. It seems far too often that people cram so much other stuff into their lives that there's no room for God. Sometimes that stuff is entertainment, work, family, sport, pleasure, materialism, and of course chasing the dollar. There's no room left for God, yet God, dwelling within us, gives hope and contentment, joy and peace, what these other things don't give. I sometimes wonder about people who live their lives at high speed, trying to make lots of money so that when they're older they can relax and enjoy themselves. Yet while they do that, 
those beautiful years are slipping away when they could be enjoying the presence and the gifts that God gives. The good life, in reality, is the God-filled life. The second point was that the temple is to be pure and holy. As a Christian, one of my desires and aims is to be pure and holy. But in reality, like you, there's so much work to be done to reach and maintain perfect purity and holiness. Selfishness and sinfulness so often pollute our body temples. To be pure and holy involves both surrender to God's will and at the same time discipline to control our thoughts and unholy desires. The third point was the fact that the temple needs to be cleansed. There have been those who felt that by rigorous discipline they could cleanse themselves of their sins. But that just doesn't cut the mustard. It doesn't work. Yet, it must happen. And that brings us to the next point. Jesus cleansed the earthly temple. But you and I need cleansing also. We all have sinned. We are stained and tainted. You see, that was one of the reasons Jesus came to this sinful planet, to take the punishment we should suffer for our sins and to provide forgiveness for those who ask for it. Jesus is able to cleanse us, but he does not just barge into our lives. He waits, waits to be asked. Maybe you're feeling weary and burdened with a load of guilt and know that you've done what is wrong, perhaps many times over. Jesus says to you, Come unto me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's from Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus will cleanse you just as he cleansed the temple in Jerusalem all those many, many years ago. Now for the fifth point that there is often a contradiction between what the temple is for and what happens within it. Just as the temple in Jerusalem was to be a pure, holy place, it is God's desire that his people be, be, be pure and holy too. Someone has said that we are able to be holy, happy and healthy with God's help. But the majority of people on this planet have believed Satan's lies and think that satisfaction in life is to be found through pleasure, material possessions and activities that are in opposition with God's holy law for living, the Ten Commandments. People have been led to accept that satisfying one's own desires will bring peace. But in many cases, 
the opposite is true. Selfishness brings about strife, crime and confusion. So as a result, many people's lives are polluted with sin and sinful activities. And where's God in all this? Unfortunately, God gets pushed away and ignored. God, by many people, <laughs> has been given the cold shoulder. The teachings of communism and evolution have been so bold as to claim that there is no God. But regardless of those ideologies, God will have the last say. A time is upon us where Jesus is soon to come back to this earth and take home with him to heaven those who have respected and honoured God. Then, like in the record of Jesus cleansing the temple in Jerusalem, there will be another cleansing, an elimination of all the wicked people who have ignored or opposed God. The Bible speaks of only two groups in this last cleansing process, the sheep and the goats, symbolising the righteous and the wicked. The righteous will be saved and given eternal life. The wicked will be given everlasting punishment, not for burning in hell for all time, but death that is everlasting. My dear friends, the story of the cleansing of the temple should make us think, should make us think, what am I doing with my life? Am I here to only please myself? Will these few years of pleasure match an eternity of joy? You know, for me, there is no comparison. To honour God and live according to his will will result in pleasure and satisfaction far beyond anything this earth currently offers. Now, I've made my choice, but what about you? Are you going to obey God? Or are you going to ignore God? Friends, I urge you, obey God and have life, life everlasting. Well, we must stop for today. Until next time, it's my hope and prayer that you will make and stick to the, stick to the decision that you make that your temple your body will be pure and truly be filled with God's presence. There's a lighthouse on the hillside 
If it wasn't for the lighthouse, my ship would be no more. I thank God for the lighthouse. I owe my life to Everybody who lives around here says, Tear that old lighthouse down.